Welcome to Daring Daring 2, a podcast that finds out how CEOs and entrepreneurs navigate today's business world. The conventions they're breaking, the challenges they've faced, and the decisions that they've made. And lastly, just what makes them different. Well, welcome to Daring 2. The podcast is all about people that are daring to be different, to bring together an idea, a passion, or a belief about something that's really going to work. And today's guest... I tell you, today's guest is really interesting for a number of reasons. So I'm delighted to welcome Liam Hayes, who's the founder of Train My Athlete. Um, Liam, welcome. Thanks, Rita. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm delighted. So, listeners, just so you know, normally when I get ready for a, a podcast, I, you know, I research the person that's going to be on the show. I learn all about them. But Train My Athlete made me do something which I haven't done for a long time this morning. And I'm feeling a bit of pain right now, Liam. I just want you to know that, okay? <laughs> because I ended up going to do some exercise this morning. And after about like 10 minutes, I was like, oh, that Liam, when I get him on the show today, I'm going to say to him, like, this is your fault that I'm in this pain right now, right? So if I had trained my athlete, maybe the Train My Athlete app, maybe I would have realized just what my levels of fitness were like given that I haven't done anything for a long time. So we are going to talk about what Train My Athlete is, but I just wanted to share with my listeners today that I actually do feel a lot better for having done some exercise, but I have no doubt that this is all because of you, Liam. Like, so you own the pain that I'm going to feel for the rest of the day. But more importantly, let's start off, right? So here you are, an entrepreneur, like, who has started a a fascinating app, which I think um, has so many applications, which we'll talk about. But that's not how your career started, was it? You didn't start out to be a founder of a of an app, a technology app, did you? I didn't, Rita. And thanks for the lovely introduction. And I'm really glad that you've you've been spending um, time really wisely and, and going out and getting getting some more exercise um, now that we're we're in this enforced situation. So really pleased to hear that. But it wasn't um, it wasn't a typical journey. No, I certainly there was no sign of me becoming an entrepreneur in the early in the in the early days. Um, I was an above average um, student at school, uh, absolutely was hardworking and driven. Um, I tried to become a successful professional footballer. Um, it didn't quite work out. I just didn't quite make the grade. Um, and so I went into what I thought was the next best thing um, and started a career in physiotherapy. And what a wonderful time I had. Um, and, and I began working in physiotherapy um, within professional sport, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed um, and really was prepping for uh, just a career within physiotherapy and to maintain that. Um, it was only um, through some frustration in, in, in what we do in, in professional sport is we create exercise plans and we tell all these professional athletes when they go on on holiday exactly what they need to do um, to keep their weight down, to make sure when they come back, they're not too overweight and they're nice and fit and healthy. Um, And I used to spend, oh, must have been 15 hours creating these lovely Excel spreadsheets only for the players. And and I completely understand why, just to leave them in the changing rooms after the game because they were off on holiday, their hard season was done and they needed some some much-needed rest. Um, so there was some mild frustration at that. And I thought there must be a bit more of a professional way rather than keeping in touch over the holidays with, with WhatsApp. Um, but, um, but nothing, the, the entrepreneur light still didn't switch on, even though it was telling me to switch on at that stage. And it was only then after I moved into um, to another area of physiotherapy that I was on holiday. Um, and all of a sudden then 
uh, when I was away on holiday, I thought, wouldn't it be great just to know exactly what I should do in this gym? I don't know why I was in the gym on holiday, um, but I thought if only I just knew the, the exact things that I should be doing and working on. And it casted my mind back to all those athletes that were away on holiday and probably thinking the same thing. And suddenly I thought, well, actually, um, simply having all of this content on the app was uh, would have been a really beneficial thing. Um, and that's what kickstarted it. And then from doing market research, I realized it wasn't the most unique idea uh, and there were some products in the market. However, um, they, didn't, they didn't particularly look great, those products, um, and they weren't particularly functional and they weren't particularly used. Um, and I still had some of those athletes that I worked with texting me and asking me how to cope with a certain injury, etc. So that's where my journey started. Um, and, and it's been a great journey since then, Rita, but it's certainly no signs in the early days of that happening. Do you think it's because, like, you know, you kind of grown up, like, using apps that it kind of connected with you, that there must be a way of putting all of these disparate information data sources together? Because it surprises me that in the elite athlete world that that hadn't been thought of before. If you think about just how much it costs to have somebody that's injured on a team or just even, like, just an individual professional athlete on their own, once they're injured or, you know, not able to play for whatever reasons because they got sick or whatever, and that costs a lot of money. So I'm really surprised that that hadn't been thought of before. And as you sort of say, yes, it was, but yours is being touted as, right, the fastest growing, most affordable solution that's out there. So why is it that you, like, what was it that you did that, enabled you to create something that's, that's actually not only affordable but you know it's clearly being seen as something that's market leading is that because you've got an understanding of apps or just just was it because you well, were able to connect stuff what was it well well no actually so so no understanding of how to code myself although we've been brought up in a generation where where now over the last decade apps are ubiquitous and and, and everywhere around us um but, but, but it's an interesting one in professional sport because even the most elite, um, whether it be in football in terms of Champions League winning sides, still using platforms at the time like, like WhatsApp, um, some of the best athletes in the world. And um, I don't know why that didn't evolve. I guess um, sometimes it's, it's uh, to do with habit and, and, and being used to, to, to working with one successful way and not wanting to change that. But I think there's subsequently been quite a shift where we're now able to, to, to give so much data and, and data is really important in professional sport, whether it be, um, which is part of what Train My Athlete does to, to analyse and predict risk of injury, for example. And, and, and that's really important because you want your best players to be playing um, and, and be fit and healthy for a club to be successful. But I think mostly it was the elite clubs who were able to afford this technology or embrace and have that extra money to put into that technology. So the clubs that I was working with didn't have that ability to collect that data and it was, it was then that I realised, well, well, actually, that's where the need is. That's where the demand is, is how do we take something that only the top 2% of, of sports institutions can afford and give that to, to other clubs? Um, and with no knowledge of coding, um, I, I literally just 
uh, went through all of any existing contacts, internet searches, Google searches, and I just had a whole host of conversations with app designers and creators. And and it was just really important for me to to ensure that the ones that I did choose uh, completely understood the idea and my vision and were the right people. And um, we're, we're very fortunate in, in that we've, we've built a very close relationship um, subsequently with that. But it was um, it was something that really was waiting to happen. And the name of your podcast is Daring Too. And, and once the light bulb did go off, I just thought, do you know what? I think that we can achieve this and, and we can dare to make something better, make something faster um, and, and disrupt the market in, in that front. And um, it's, it's been a wonderful journey since. But, but for anyone listening who's just thinking that they've got that unique idea, um, I, I, I just would urge I, I was someone who um, had no idea about coding had no background in entrepreneurship, um, really had no savings. um, But I just felt so strongly about the idea that I I just also pilot took over and I I felt we were, I was, it was just had to be and I I was going to break down every barrier that came in front of me or learn as much as I could to get to that end destination. Um, so, so, so it, it really was a, a surprise to me that I had that drive and ambition inside of me. But I think I was just so confident in the idea and confident in what the market needed. It, it, it brought me to, to, to this coming together, really. To talk about some of those barriers, right? Because it must have been hard. There you were, you were a physiotherapist, you know, a great job. Like, you know, you knew where your income was coming from. You were well respected. You got to work with some great athletes. You got to work with some people just, you know, general people as well. And it was secure, it's safe. And there you go, you're passionate about an idea. Some people will be listening like, oh, yeah, lucky dude, right? You know, just happened to have luck on his side and, you know, voila, it happened. But I'm sure it wasn't all plain sailing. So what were some of the hardest barriers that you had to overcome? Well, money was was the number one barrier is um, I didn't have a network or any access to somebody who could invest on a whim uh, and give me that ability just to put that idea into fruition. So that was the, the, the biggest barrier at first that I came across. And my, my answer to that was to, um, to, to think that, well, actually, what I need to do is get 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 saving so i moved back in uh, to my my parents house uh, i got a physiotherapy job that was 2 minutes away so i cut down on commuting costs like petrol etc um and i just saved so i didn't have too much of a social life at that point um because everything was going into this pot which was eventually going to create the prototype and it was a small pot but it gave me what i needed to start because i, I just didn't feel that in such a, a new and emerging market, I had the contacts to really go to and say, look, I've got this vision, back me with, with your finances. And I felt that actually um, I, was, I was so confident in the idea that I was, I was just going to invest my own money. And if I could only just get the prototype, then I could show people this app and this product and how amazing it will be. And then I'll be able to have conversations about funding and develop it further. Um, so, that was my biggest one. And, and, and there was plenty of low moments. There were, there were plenty of times where I really financially thought, 
this is this is very tricky now um, because of it, it takes a lot to kickstart that process. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think that's where maybe a skill that I didn't realise that I had in, in terms of that every entrepreneur should have, and it's, it's that just that inner resilience, um, just to to keep on going. Um, and to keep confidence in your vision and to make sure that you're still planning for that vision. Um, and then once I developed the prototype, the next barrier was that it, it, I, I think I've, I, I noted down, I, I think I got rejected the idea. I, I got told, no, it wasn't a good idea. I think 24 times. So I, I got 24, myself in front of wow. 24 and I still remember it. And it's a, it's, a, it's an incredible source of motivation. And um, and, and I understood each of the 24 um, reasons why I was I was told no. Um, perhaps on reflection, looking back, I was just um, I, I wasn't a well-oiled machine that time. I was I was I was presenting in, in a very informal manner, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and perhaps I didn't have that knowledge and the depth that I needed to to be able to really sell that vision to an entrepreneur and why should I invest in Liam I felt very investable but I could understand that with no previous um previous kind of experience in 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 the area of entrepreneurship and setting up businesses I could understand but it it never deterred me that that resilience I I felt sad for a day after being told no. And then it was a case, what's the next plan? Where's my next meeting? I've got another investor meeting to come. Um, and and after the 24th, there was one moment in me in which I, I did some serious reflection where I thought, is this a good idea? Am I just completely believing my own ambition and my own vision too much? And, and, and do these guys have a point? Um, and, and, I subsequently believed, no, I do. And, and, and I never at any point thought, do you know what, this is it. And it was two weeks later, because um, just to go back, I, I developed the prototype and I had sent out some, um, some messages through LinkedIn, which is a great way to connect with professionals in your industry. Um, would they, to, to professional clubs, would they like to try my app? Um, and, and some of them just really out of kindness said, yeah, sure. Um, and then with, within two or three weeks, there was orders coming in for, for my app for, um, from the Premier League right down right the way through the English League. And it was just the prototype at this stage. So after so, so I'd got through that and I'd been kind of managing these clients from my bedroom effectively. Um, got the 24th rejection, had some serious rough self-reflection, but still wanted to pursue it. And then two weeks later, a uh, professional footballer rang. Who, who had got in touch and had said, I really like this app. What, are, what is your vision for it? Uh, what, what, what do you plan of doing it? Um, and I told them a little bit about my, my, my troubles and, um, and how I needed to, to, to get access to, to money to really develop my idea. Um, and, and, it, and that's how it came about. That's how funding came about, which was crucial to, to go on to develop the data analytics platform that we have now it was just that phone call which which essentially changed the direction of everything. Um, I feel like looking back that I hope that I created that luck and that they 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 liked me and the product enough to be able to do that. Um, but it was a, it was a defining moment and and it just it just made me think that all of those low points from rejection to how am I going to scale up a business, little old me with no experience. Um, 
it, it, it was just all of those emotions culminated together to think I was so right just to carry on and persevering through. Um, so, so, so that was, that was that journey. Um, and, and that was some of the barriers that I faced. And once, once I'd kind of got over that wall, um, there's still every day is still, uh, learning and there's still mistakes. Um, but, but I feel like I've gone past the point of return now and, um, and, and, and that hard work and that, that ambition and that just courage to carry on really got me through. And, and it's not something I, before I started that journey, I would have told you that I would have had. It was just complete conviction in, in that idea at the time. So, um, so, so anyone out there who, who, who does feel like that they've come up across those barriers and they don't have that pot of cash to develop, keep, keep going, just keep going. Um, believe in your idea, uh, and 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 I do believe you'll create that luck. Certainly, um, certainly, I did. Well, and look, you, you, you know, train my athlete has worked with some of the the top Premier League, um, you know, football teams, right? You've worked with like Chelsea, and you know, I'm gonna, I, I hate to say these names because like they're not my team. I want to know where Arsenal are. Like, so Arsenal Football Club, if you are listening today, I suggest you contact train my athlete because we need help as a club as a as a fan for a long time but you know that in itself is is you know you know affirmation really that there's real value to have in sort of bringing all these data points together because what you're actually doing is is not just sort of bringing in the fitness like like talk a little bit about what it is because i like i'm like what do you mean by like a wearable gps like i don't even know where i'm going on a good day never mind about like you know using a gps to get from like a to b like how do you use it to to so, get data on like all kinds of things, it like that's explain that's it to right. well, like well, a, a person like me. Essentially, we collect three types of data that's really important for medical teams, sports science teams, and coaching teams to make a decision on an athlete whether that's that they should train hard today, they should take it easy from training because they might be a little bit at risk of injury, or they're ready to perform at their best of the ability. And, and those three facets are, are taken from GPS data. So you might, anyone who, who, who watches um, sports, when, when they score a goal, when they, they, take off, um, they take off their shirt, you might see that they've got that sports bra type vest on underneath. And that contains a, a GPS um, tracking device, mm. and that will give um, the club information on how how much distance that that player has covered during a game, how fast they've been running, how many sprints they've done. So that's one aspect. So, so it takes all of that data in. So if you were here right now, um, Liam, you would see Stone, our producer here, he's like shaking his head, going like, "No way!" Like really? Like he's like fascinated by what you just said. So now everybody, like all the listeners, are going to be like watching from now on of all the like different games whether it's american football or like soccer or whatever it might be they're gonna be waiting for the look to see where is that gps that that person's got on because like absolutely you know, you just... sometimes there's a telltale sign at the back of the shirt just a a, a little bit of a, a what looks like a bit of a lump just coming out of their shirt and th- there's no hiding ground for athletes as well it's, it's a little bit big brother i guess but it, it, it is really important not not only just to ensure that that clubs perform successfully but but also to ensure the health of that athlete, which is really important to make sure they're not doing too much. Um, but, but that's one component. The second component um, that our software collates in terms of the data is uh, the wellness of that athlete. Um, and now that, mu- that will be collecting data on 
how well they slept, what are their general stress levels like, what are their mood levels like, um, and any other things that are going on in terms of do they just feel sore across their body. That's all really important information, whether an athlete should be training that day or playing and whether any intervention is is needed. Um, and it, it, combining those those data and statistics, um, we provide the, the visualizations of um, uh, to, to those medical teams so they can see um, visually whether they've covered too much distance or they haven't slept well last night. Let's have a chat with them. What should we do? Um, and by presenting that data to them, we just give them the confidence to be able to make decisions. Um, so, so it's, it's a clever, sophisticated system and, and there's a lot of algorithms um, and data that, that, that go into producing it. But it's, it's something that really most professional sports teams will be using now or will be looking to invest in to use. Because um, if we look at the COVID-19, um, it, yeah. it's completely changed the landscape of, of professional sports. So some of those things that we were talking about, particularly the wellness side of the game, normally what would happen is you turn up to training that day and a sports scientist would would come in face-to-face close to you and ask you, how well did you sleep last night? How's your mood levels? How's your energy levels, etc. Now, um, people are, uh, are working from home effectively. Athletes are working from home. So there needs to be a way to collect that data. And we do that through... Um, through the players having access to the app and uh, and being able to answer all their questions and be able to keep in touch with their coaches and their managers through the app. So even um, even with the player at home and not at the training ground, you can still get that that quality care from all of the medical team and the sports scientists who are able to see all of the data coming in at the time. And there's been a lot of talk about that recently. I mean, particularly here in the US, you know, with, with a lot of the sports, obviously, as around the world that have been stopped, you know, the NFL and all the other sort of like baseball teams, etc. You know, those teams, those players are finding it really hard, I think, not to be in that sort of like face-to-face environment and, and thinking about how do you keep them motivated? How do you keep them focused on staying fit, looking after themselves, like mentally prepared uh, during this time period? And it sounds like this is a great way to sort of connect them to keeping that contact in a way albeit virtually that's right every morning those athletes who are using train athlete will wake up and they'll get a notification um, and it will be here's what you need to do today here's what you need to eat today and then there'll be all of those questions that we talked about about how they're feeling and they can upload videos they can um they can tell um those those clubs uh, the backroom team of those clubs, how well they're doing, how well they're feeling. Um, and it's it's a very strange situation at the moment because clubs are so used to being able to to, to see players face-to-face and, and, and just to, to know how they're feeling. Um, now all of those clubs are having to reorganise how they do that and how they do that effectively. So it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting time and um, it will be fascinating now when when players start to come back in to the training ground, how much they've been able to to replicate um, what they would normally do on the training field from home. And um, you've got to remember that these athletes um, love structure um, and they're used to being told what they need to be doing every day. And 
being away from that and, and, and the, the kind of the banter in the locker room or in the changing rooms is, is really hard. So, so their stress levels and, and their anxiety levels being away from the game are, are likely to be higher. And, and, and that's where train my athlete really comes into play because it can, it can be a really powerful connecting tool. Um, and initially it was designed to make sure that they had that communication when they went off on holiday in the off season. Um, now in this unforeseen pandemic, it's, it's played a really important role in making sure that those, those players are okay, both physically and mentally um, through the software. So, so that's been really interesting how um, we didn't realise how what was going to happen because the first thing that you think when professional sport shuts down across the world is that budgets are frozen. So that's difficult for us when we're trying to sell a product into those clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, we've then found this niche whereby actually we are still very much needed because we are that powerful communication tool, that lifeline uh, to keep that contact in a professional way that can be recorded and analysed between athlete and coach or athlete and physiotherapist. So it's it's, it's been fascinating how quickly we've adapted. And I know I've listened to to some of your more recent podcasts since the pandemic has happened. Um, And and it's been a wonderful time to give business that reflection and what are we going to do after this? How are we going to change our business model? In a really good way, we've not had a great deal of time because we've seen a lot of organizations come to us to have this software to use um so 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 we would have in some ways we would never have predicted the the kind of success we've had through this pandemic um uh so so it's 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 a it's an unusual time but but we've been very fortunate i think so i've got a question i mean a lot of this is also is around well-being, right? I mean, ultimately, whether it's about their sort of nutrition or their fitness levels or, you know, how they are, ultimately, it's about well-being. Now, companies today, beyond the sort of the sports arena, just companies at large, have become much, much more focused on employee well-being and mental health and, and making sure that people aren't, you know, sleeping well, eating well, making sure that they're taking care of themselves, Doing physical exercise, yes, like myself this morning, realizing that that's a positive thing to be doing. Do you see benefits of like the train my athlete for that kind of thing for like CEOs and other leaders and, and just employees in general? I just I'm curious as to see the application of what you guys have from a data standpoint. Could you see it in that sort of area? Absolutely, I could. It's so transferable, um, and really the, the the management of your staff whatever industry you're in, isn't too dissimilar to the management of athletes. You need to keep them, it's in your interest to, to keep them happy, to keep them performing well. Um, and, and, and by do, do, ensuring that is the keys to that, the key pillars of that is ensuring that they've got good mental health and, and good physical health. Um, now, our, our application, in, in my opinion, is, is easily transferable to that. Um, and I think if you're, if, if, if you're in a good place physically and, and mentally, then you're going to perform well, whether you're a professional athlete or whether you're a CEO of a company or whether you're, you're a receptionist of that CEO's company. Um, so, so I think in, in, in looking across the landscape, 
there are more things happening now on focus on employee well-being, as you said, than, than there ever has. And I think that will only continue. Um, and, and I think it, it should just become the norm across industry that, that there are things in place um, to, 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 to allow those workers to be um, both mentally and physically fit. Um, and, and yeah, um, in, the, in the next year or so, you may well see that uh, we start to, to, to work into those markets, which is really exciting. And it's not something that's gone unnoticed by us. And I had a brief spell myself as a physiotherapist within occupational health. So um, I, I know full well um, the, the, the types of stresses and anxieties we can get through work and, and having a, a, a very quick acting alert system to, to get the support and help you need, whatever, however big or little is, is really important. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah. So, so I completely agree. So I like the, the, this concept of this alert system that you, that you talk about, which is obviously useful for very highly useful for COVID-19 being able to like spot maybe when sports does restart, particularly those that involve you know, bringing teams together, that this would be a way to sort of spot signs that, you know, somebody may be a potential risk. Um, somebody may have actually, be suffering from you know COVID nineteen and, and being able to like nip that in the bud or at least be aware of it so that you can you can manage that going forward. So this kind of alert system that that's in there, how how are companies uh, you know like the sort of the sports teams reacting to that? How are you seeing that being used by them right now? Are you seeing them applying that in how they're doing that virtually right now? Absolutely. So. Um Specific to, to our application, um, we're seeing a lot of club doctors um, asking uh, questions every day about uh, how, how an athlete's temperature, if they've got a dry cough, um, are they displaying any symptoms at all? Um, and when they answer those questions, uh, what will happen is if they reach a certain threshold where they are becoming symptomatic, then uh, the doctors will be um, uh, get a notification on their phone or an email to say that, so-and-so is displaying some symptoms that could potentially be COVID-19. Um, and then what we're seeing is, is them have it, that allowing them to have that conversation and if need be doing drive-by testing or, or, or taking further action as necessary. Um, it's, it's been engaged with very, very well. And I think um, not just in sport, but particularly because the spotlight at the moment is on sport with with. The, the conversations happening to return to sport now. There is a great deal of anxiety within medical departments and sports clubs to ensure that they're keeping their athletes safe and they're stopping any spread within the group. Um, and the, the only way that we can, we can do that successfully is by testing them, um, but also continuously screening for symptoms. So, um, clubs will be screening now um, symptoms every single day. So every morning, those players will have to submit their forms on the app um, and providing that doesn't meet the threshold, then they'll be able to come into training that day um, and, and, and still get a test. But if it does, then action can be taken to prevent both the welfare for that athlete, but also the welfare of his teammates in, uh, at the training ground. Um, so it's something that's being taken very seriously um, and uh, a situation that's never occurred before, um, but um, something that will change the way that sports medicine departments work for f forever, really. Um, it's going to have that, that 
kind of profound effect. But um, these guys are the best in the business and, and they're certainly taking uh, this situation very seriously. Um, and, and from from my own personal perspective, it's, it's really lovely to see a technology that we've created um, just play a small part in, in helping that. Um, and if that helps clubs get back to to training um, and 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 a little part in in getting back to professional sport, then uh, it's 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 a really lovely feeling. Yeah. yeah. Well, we talked a lot now about the sort of the preventative side of how the app can help sort of prevent things or at least like the warning signals, if you like. Uh, let's flip it a little bit and talk about the performance side. So, a lot of these algorithms that you've got are are obviously accumulating lots of data on individuals and on situations. And I watched a video about Gateshead um, Football Club and how the players were actually talking about it enhancing their performance levels and making them strive for more. So how much of it, um, would you say, helps individuals re-channel, if you like, what their possibilities could be in terms of you know, almost, I guess, pushing them to be, to be even better than they are? Are you finding that through some of the, the data that you're gathering or the individuals are getting from the, the Train My Athlete app? Absolutely. And Gateshead are a good example. Um, they hadn't used uh, GPS technology um, before um, and suddenly the players were able to get all of this, this data on their own performance to their phone. Um, and and, and their, their performances post-pandemic really, really improved. Um, and part of the reason why in speaking to the coaching team was there was this thirst from the players to know how they did, what was the data for, for that game or that training and the competitive nature of comparing to their colleagues. And I think professional athletes have that natural um, attribute of, of, of striving to be the best or better. Um, and suddenly now, um, in this day and age, they can have access where a previous generation didn't to data, um, which then fundamentally they might not have been aware of. They might have not realised that they don't cover as much distance as someone else during a game because their their mind is on on other things. Um, so so they can then put that into practice in training, and coaches can identify that and 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 almost improve their coaching style to get the best out of that player. So I think it play, it, it's played a, a huge role, both for Gateshead, but just generally GPS um, and, and wearable technology has, has changed the way athletes think about themselves. On one sense, there's no hiding ground. So it can seem a bit intrusive and, and it's not always a complete replication of a performance. You might have someone who runs 20 kilometres that, can't kick a can't kick a football all game, or and you might have someone who who's ran ten kilometres and has scored three goals and has has had a huge impact on the game. But it, what it does is 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 identify themes and and trends, um, and and that has has had a massive take up from both the backroom team, but also of the athletes. They're they're a competitive bunch by nature, and what we're planning to do in the next year or so is actually bring that out to the everyday everyday Sunday league um, type footballer um, to both at consumer level whereby they can run around the field for their pub team or their under 10s team or, or whatever it might be um, and then they can pick up the data and compare themselves to how does my how does that compare with my favorite footballer in the Premier League 
Um, oh, and, there's and, and then, so many. There's going to be so many like mums and dads and kids are going to be like on that right. Everyone's going to have their favourite like player or team. Or oh, I can see that being um yeah. I can almost see a fantasy league football thing being started there in itself. Yeah, I'm you've good. got it. And 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 it's it's wonderful for two reasons. One to 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 see how you how how good you are or, or where you maybe need to improve or where you need to go but also to get an admiration of, of just how good these athletes are and, and, and why they've got to where they are. Um, and, and, and on the whole, they are, and, and I mean this across professional sport of all disciplines, the, the level of dedication um, to, to their chosen sport is, is something that um, is, is inspiring. Um, and, and particularly entrepreneurs can take from that because if you can, get that level of dedication that those athletes show towards their sport and put that towards your chosen idea. Well, it's a win-win situation. But um, I look forward to seeing how that goes uh, when we do uh, eventually get, get that over the line. It, it'll be really interesting and, and, and fun as well. So let's talk a little bit about that, that two comments that you just made. Uh, one that we're going to come back to, uh, but the, the one I want to pick up right now is this whole idea of like the level of dedication and the inspiration that these athletes have. How, what do you think is applicable to leadership today in any kind of facet or, you know, whether it's in a sports environment, in a corporate environment, in a non-profit institutional environment, there must, there must be some capabilities that you are seeing through the data that you're gathering. You've talked about one of them around sort of like this dedication. Are there others that you'd say, hey, these are things that like are real capabilities that make people successful? I think there's a really interesting link here because when we look at now um, inspiring leaders or managers within, let's just say, the English Premier League, those type of managers were previously types like Sir Alex Ferguson would think straight away and the type of character he was, which might be potentially, and I, I, I don't know, but potentially quite cold, wouldn't be afraid to to give you a good kick up the bum if, if you needed it. Um, and, and there was almost that fear factor that, that it inspired players to want to kind of impress for them. But this next generation of coaches, um, particularly people talk about Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, mm-hmm. um, and this larger-than-life character, very charismatic, um, the type of manager that you would imagine would put their arm around the player and inspire them in a very different way. And I... I, I think that's a, um, that's quite transferable to other industries where I think CEOs, leaders should be um, somebody that, that people can approach and go to. They should have that approachability. They should, um, they should have that want to build that person up and to inspire that person um, to, to to be better and and I think the way we inspire is changing. I think a true leader now is is somebody who can empathize and show compassion um, and talk through mistakes why they might happen um, and and not come down so hard. I think as a generation our our personalities are changing as well where we 're responding better to that type, almost like that TLC approach. Um, to build them up. And there are always times where difficult conversations need to be had and you need that ability to, to have that difficult conversation. 
Um, but, but truly understanding your employees is, is the most important. Knowing when they're sad, um, uh, that is not the time to, to, to have a really difficult discussion with them um, and, and trying to build them up and work through these issues. And I think, um, in, in my opinion, and, and the type of leader that I am trying to be and, and, and will try to be in the future is one that, that inspires through um, showing them my own personal dedication, my own, my own personal resilience, but also being able to, to have a conversation Put your arm around that person um, if, if, if they're not having a great time or, or they've made a mistake and, and have not been successful and working that through with them. I think patience is key. I think um, we should, with, with, to inspire people, we need to be invested in them in the long term. Um, and, and I think when you invest in someone in the long term, you will get lows, but you'll also get incredible highs. And I know even as a physiotherapist, the people that I initially, when I came out of university, um, despite having a good degree and everything, I, I didn't really know too much. I was suddenly thrust upon it. Um, but I had leaders that inspired me, that were patient with me. Um, and I think I, I've taken a lot from that. And when I look at now these charismatic people like Jurgen Klopp, you know that every one of those players walks in and they, um, they, they want to play for them because they ad- admire that person and they know that that person um, has their back when they need to be. And I think we should see a shift towards that rather than the kind of old, archaic um, ruling by fear. I, I, I think people now rebel against that. Um, certainly I probably would have if I had ever experienced it. But I think that's an interesting change. And I, th- I think it's really clear in sport. I think you can see that. Um, and, and I think within different industries, I think those who are the most charismatic um, and, and understanding of their employees and the demands and the pressures that they're under um, will be the most successful. Do you know what? I get more and more inspired when I do these podcasts of hearing from the leaders of the future because it's it's people like yourself, you know, the younger ones that are coming in that are actually really articulating a vision for leadership of the future. And it it's sort of like... It blows me away uh, because it, it makes me so hopeful for what leadership can and should be. And that's not to discount the leaders that are in place today because there are many great leaders. But, but you know, some of the things that you talk about, the empathy, the, the, the passion, the humbleness, the, the willingness to sort of like be invested, they are all so important in qualities of leaders today that it, it humbles me to hear like talented people that are potentially the the leaders of the future, where you're a leader now, but you know, hopefully doing it broader and better. So for anybody that's listening today that is a leader, is a CEO, or is passionate about that, then you know, I always have my little rewind moments on my podcast. And I think that was a rewind moment to listen to. And, uh, you know, my only thing about Jürgen, Jürgen is that he was with the wrong team. I would have liked him to be with Arsenal, but we'll move swiftly on from that, okay? Um, to let's talk about, we kind of skirted around it a little bit, but this idea that, you know, wearable technology, how do you get people comfortable with the fact that it's not a big brother, that it's not intrusive? I mean, wh- how do you sell that to people? Because there is that bit to it, right? My God, something's going to be watching what I'm eating every day or like how many hours I'm training and I just want to have a day off and I don't want anyone to know what I'm doing. How do you, how have you addressed that challenge? 
Well, there's a really important point to start with, and that is that players actually need to consent to to this. Um, so even though we're selling a product to, I guess, the the medical departments who are, who very very much want this type of data, the players still need to consent to to that data, and and they they should rightly understand where that data is going, and um, and that data should be kept within. Uh, the confines of, of that club, etc. So that's a really important point um, that, that the players should be always kept informed of, of that data and, um, and what type of data it's collected. On the whole, it's, 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 it's true that athletes are, are very on board with it. Um, it, it. It inevitably helps improve them, both their performance, but also can play a critical role in, in stopping them from getting injured. So it's, it's within their interest to be completely engaged in it. Um, but that being said, um, I think it's, it's really important. And, and as the, the, the CEO of, of Trainer Athlete, a kind of a, an analytics software company, I'm, I'm quite happy to say that data is not the be all and end all. Um, and it, it has to be used to inform um, rather than to be the, the the key reason to make a decision, because data lacks that, that data lacks that human element, right? And yep. and I think we can we can collate as much really cool data that looks really cool on spreadsheets, wonderful graphs, etc. Um, but I always think until it, it, until you're looking that athlete in the eye, for example, um, it, it's it's very difficult to make a decision purely based on data. Um, and I actually think that it should should always revert to the skill of the clinician, whether that's the club doctor, the club physio, the sports scientist, the coach. They will know, and a player will know whether they perform well um, or whether they're 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 doing too much or too little. Um, it could it can be a, a key role in motivating someone. So if, if if someone is resistant to to how well they've played, it can support in an argument of perhaps they haven't done enough compared to their peers, um, and that in itself can be motivating to make sure that that athlete wants to be able to pull his weight compared to his colleagues. But I think um, as long as data is 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 kept where it should be. Uh, and is not used to to make um, the the final decision. That skill of, of 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 the person making that decision, that human element, has to be a factor. Otherwise, it won't be successful. Um, and, and we've seen um, we've seen many stories, um, and, and this just isn't with the data that we collect, but um, kind of Moneyball was 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 a film that I remember watching mm-hmm. where there was a successful story where they used kind of data analytics in in baseball I, I believe to for the Oakland athletics to to make them successful and that yes they had a great run um, but there are many stories where they have just looked at data to sign particular players or to play a particular way uh, and there are many more unsuccessful stories than there are successful stories and that's because you need to take your head out of the data it's a really important part it's there and it should be very accessible, but it should be taken with other elements, the human element, the expert knowledge of the person making the decision. Um, and I think once you combine all of those, then there is the real chance of being successful. Um, but I think, I think data alone is, um, 
is 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 just not enough, and and we should never go down that route um, ever. Um, it, it should be a it should be a handrail, not a handcuff. That's a great analogy to put for the use of data. Absolutely brilliant. Like you know, it is um, like Stone's writing that down. So like we always like to take up, like we always give credit when we hear something that we like. So both of us are going like that's one we're going to use in the future. <laughs> um, Liam, we were like, there's so many other things that I would ask you, you know, about how it's. You know, in my head, I'm going like, wow, we can see like different um, people coming together and collaborating that wouldn't have collaborated before, like sports scientists, coaches, uh, players. I mean, it's it's a whole different kind of thinking around collaboration, but we don't have enough time to talk about all those things. So the last question, I'm afraid I'm going to uh, ask you, well, afraid to like close it out really, but have to do so, is what's your daring to moment, do you think? Was it like starting the business? What is it? Like now that you look back a couple of years on, I mean, taking your, taking this vision and made it happen, what's your daring to moment? Honestly, when you just said even the words daring to, it just took me right back to the moment and the, the, the hairs on my, on my arms standing up because it, it, my, my daring to moment was that light bulb moment. I was in the gym on holiday and I thought, wouldn't this be a good idea? Um, and, and there was, there was just that, um, that, Almost within that same time, am I am I going to do this? Am I the person to do this? Um, is this is this a good enough idea? Um, and very quickly in my head, I just thought, yes, I'm going to do it. And actually, even though I've got no background in setting up business, even though I've not got any money, which I didn't at that time, I think I can make this work. Um, and if I don't go for this now. I will look back and think I should have done it then. And if I do and it doesn't work out, I'll have absolutely no regrets and be really proud of myself for, for taking on that challenge. Um, so that was absolutely my dare to moment. I'm proud I did it. Even if it hadn't have worked out, I would have been very proud. I, I left nothing uh, stone unturned in, in my quest to, 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 to develop Train My Athlete. So for that, I am genuinely can say I was proud of myself and, and that was my dare to moment I think oh I mean brilliant I'm speechless so brilliant that was a great way to end the show um Liam if people want to know more about train my athlete get in contact with you find out more about it uh, what's the best way um email me um or, or on LinkedIn so you can get me on email with liam at trainmyathlete.com or you can easily find me, Liam Hayes, on, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm quite active on both, so feel free to reach out. Okay, and you're going to hear more about where you can find out about um, Dare Worldwide, but you can also find me on Twitter at Rita underscore Trahan. It's been great to have you, Liam. Thank you so much, Rita. Really enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. Enjoyed the conversation? Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes of Daring 2. Also, check out our website, dareworldwide.com, for some great resources around business in general, leadership, and how to bring about change. See you next time.